Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. I just want to say something to you because there's, there's just some things that go on around here and you all don't get to hear about them and you don't get to see them and you, you're unaware of it. And I just want to make you aware. I just want to brag about the church for just a minute. It's just a church that I really love pastoring churches like this. This is a real fit for me. And so just to tell you about a little incident we had about, uh, not an incident, but uh, an event that happened a, a couple weeks ago, maybe it was a month and a half ago. Um, uh, I had somebody who, uh, after service, dropped me an email and just had concerns about something that was going on here in the service. And so they sent me an email and I sent them the same thing. I always said, hey, totally understand, appreciate the feedback. Um, would love to get together and discuss this personally. This is, this is when, when I'm emailing, this is how I look. And so I was emailing back and, and I just said, would love to discuss with you. And this is so fun. I just want to tell you, this ministered to me like almost like very few things in this church have ever ministered to me ever. And this is the kind of church that, so if you're new, you just need to know, this is the kind of church that, that we have here at Cedar Valley. The dude emails me back and he goes, um, he goes, yeah, thanks, appreciate that. Would love to get together. Just so you know, you're stuck with me. This is my church and I ain't going anywhere. Man, do you, do you understand how that ministers to somebody? When we live in the cancel culture, in the cancel culture, you know this, like, here's what we're going to do. Before I get to know you, before I get to know you, just answer these questions for me, and then I'll know if I want to, if I want to have any further conversation. Just answer these three questions, and I'll know who you are. Man, that's the culture. You do understand that Jesus was not cancel culture. You do understand that what Jesus actually did is Jesus went to and spent time with the people who had been canceled by the culture. That's who Jesus spent time with. And I had such a, I'm going to tell you what, we got together that Saturday morning, we had a cup of coffee, we, we, it was such a great discussion, we got done, we prayed for each other, I, we might have even hugged each other, I don't know, I know I didn't cry this time, I know I didn't cry, but we had the best morning. And I'm just telling you, I'm talking to buddies who are pastoring churches, and they're losing people at record numbers because of the tiniest of things. And people just flee the church. And instead of having conversation, which is what people in this church do, if you're new, you need to know that. In a lot of churches, what they do is they'll sit on something and they'll stew on something, and then they just let you know I'm gone or they let you know I'm leaving. That is cancel culture behavior. That is not Cedar Valley Church. This is such a unique place, right? So I just want to applaud the church, thank the church. I'm just telling you, those are the kinds of people that attend this church, so I'm really excited about that. Um, We talked about last week, we're starting a new series this week. It's called Crucial Conversations, and so we're going to be in message one of Crucial Conversations. We just finished teaching through a book. We went through the book of Ruth, and we saw everything in context. Then sometimes we just have topical, more topical series, and we we go through different conversations. So today we're doing holy sexuality. It's the natural follow-up for Easter, always, right? And so um, then then, uh, next week... Um, we're going to do um, a, racial, a biblical view, a biblical view, I want to stress that, a biblical view of racial reconciliation. What does the Bible really have to say? The week after that, we're going to do a, a message, believe it or not, on mental health. And I'm just telling you, I've said this last week, I, I really believe that when the schools are back in full session, I'm not hoping this, I'm not speaking this out so that it would <laughs> come about, I'm just saying, I think they're going to have just an unbelievable number of uh, behavioral issues. Because of, because of what's happened to people mentally. All the, all the counselors that I know who are professional health counselors, mental health counselors, they're all at least six weeks out. Their schedules are so full. And so I think we need to talk about, what is the church? Does the church actually have a response to that? Does the Bible talk about that? And then the last week, sisters in the house, women in the church, we're gonna talk about that. And so we'll have, um, on that day, and it's just weird, just be prepared, we're gonna ask the men to sit on this side. And, we're... and so... Uh, 
And so today is a message called Holy Sexuality. So let me give you a few things to think about before we start talking about this. Number one, I don't know why we call these crucial conversations. We should have just called it difficult conversations. But do you know who should have difficult conversations? Yeah, the church. The church is where these conversations should be had. And so today is going to be one of those. So just know this. This is a PG-13 service. And so if you have kids who are in middle school and above, I absolutely believe that they should be in here. And I think this is appropriate for them. That's my opinion. If you have kids who are younger than that, then you decide. In a minute, we'll stand and read the scriptures and pray. And if you just say, hey, maybe that's not the time for my kids yet, that's okay. That's okay. There's no judgment. Like, that might be the appropriate time for you to leave. Let me ask you another couple things just as a favor for me. Uh, number one, this is just one of the, you know, you know this, when I preach, I like, hey, amen, hey, uh, Neil, you're awesome, hey, that was hilarious, I like all the feedback, right? But I would just say today is a day not for feedback, that today is one of those days where there wouldn't, I, I would just ask that there not be an amen, that today is a day where I, I ask if, if you agree with something strongly, I, I would ask that there just be no applause. I just think it's a very sensitive conversation, so I, I think we just hold that for today, I think that would be important. And then the other thing that I would ask you is, please stay for the entire message today. Let's not behave in cancel culture. You disagree with something, that's, that's, that's fine. I would say don't get up and leave. I think you need to hear the entirety of the message. If you have to leave early, I'd say tune in online uh, and, and pick up the rest of it. So, so we'll start in today. It's, it's a crucial conversation. It's talking about holy sexuality. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. The question that we're really asking today is this. What, the, what, do, what do we believe about sex? We're asking that question. That, that's a possible question that we're asking. But I think a more a significant question, because we're at Cedar Valley Church, because we're, we, are, we are people of the word, the more relevant question that needs to be asked is this. What does the Bible have to say about sex? Not what do you think, not what do I think, not hey, here's a thought, everybody, this is, this is a thought on sex. I think what we really want to do is people of the word, we need to say what does the Bible say about sex. Now let me just give you this as a, as a, as a disclaimer. There are a lot of things in the Bible that I don't like. I just want you to know that. There are a lot of things in the Bible that I don't like. There are a lot of things in the Bible that step on my toes. There are a lot of things in the Bible that make me change. And that's what we do. We read the Holy Scriptures and we say, man, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I don't try to get a scripture in line with what I believe. I got to get in line with what the scriptures say. So the question we're really going to try to be answering today is, what does the Bible have to say about sex? Genesis chapter 2, if you'd stand to your feet with me for the reading of our primary text. If you're new, if you're watching online, you wonder why we don't do up, down, up, down the whole morning. But during our primary text, it's just a cool piece for us to symbolically say, we believe this is God speaking. I'm going to start in verse 18, and so follow along as I read out loud. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and he closed up the opening. Verse 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains 
why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy word. In this brief time now, God, speak. Holy Spirit, open our ears. We know that you desire to speak. Give us ears to hear. Give us, give us hearts to understand, Father. Help us to understand what it is you're trying to say to us now, Lord. Give us understanding. Draw us to you through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And so again, sensitive topic, difficult discussion today. And so I just want to start out with this idea because I want us to grab this idea so that you understand exactly where we're coming from. And, and just understand this, this fun part for just a minute. And that is this. The first thing you need to understand is that sex is a good gift. Now listen, it is from God. Like, do we ever just stop and think about that? Like, I wonder where sex came from. God! God gave sex. God is, is the giver of good gifts. God has given this gift to us, right? I don't know if you ever thought of it in these terms. This is back to Genesis chapter one. God creates human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created. God has just made man. Man has just been made. That's, that, that, that's like creation is going on, creation is going on. Finally, God makes man. This is verse 27. Now watch, the very next verse. Then, then, as in the very next thing, the next thing that happened, God makes man, God makes woman. Then, then what? Then God blessed them and he said, this is the first command that God says to them, be fruitful and multiply. That's the first command. It's the very first command. You guys have at it. Have at it. I've given you this good gift. Have at it. Enjoy. Okay. Not done yet. Here's the second thing you got to understand. God's gifts are a blessing when used inside of God's parameters. Sex is a good gift, and it's from God, and God's blessings, God's good gifts are a blessing when used inside God's parameters. Now, you understand the book of, of Genesis, and then we kind of have Exodus, and the, and the Jews are coming out of Egypt, and, and they they're, they're, they're spend their time, they cross the Red Sea, and they're wandering across the desert. They get to Mount Sinai. God starts to unload and give the law to them, the instruction to them. And then the book of Leviticus, he lays out all Levitical laws, and he's giving them laws, and he's giving them laws. And then when you get to Leviticus 26, he says this, listen, I've given you all my laws. If you follow my decrees... And you're careful to obey, to, to behave with inside the parameters that I've laid out. If you'll do that, I will send you seasonal rains. I will bless you. I will. I will do that. The land will then yield its crops. The trees of the field will produce their fruit. I will do those things. He goes on and he says, your threshing season will overlap with the grape harvest. Your grape harvest will overlap with the season of planting grain. You understand that? God wants to bless. Further, he goes on and say this, you'll have such a surplus of crops that you'll need to clear out the old grain to make room for the new harvest. I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you. Why? Because you follow my decrees, because you follow my decrees, because you do as I've commanded, because you obey me. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on and he says this, however, like everybody pay attention because there is another side to this. And he says this, however, if you don't listen to me, if you don't obey my commands, if you break my covenant by rejecting my decrees, if you're not doing it the way that I've commanded, if you treat my regulations with contempt and you refuse to obey, are, are we on the same page here? This is disobedience. If you are disobedient to me, listen to me, promise, I will punish you. 
Now, let me just stop there for a second. Do you know why God does that? Because he doesn't want you and I to be knuckleheads. Because he doesn't want you to experience the severe consequences that come along with sin. And I don't mean just consequences because it's God. I mean, just like, look, if you, get, if you just totally go out and get drunk and you get in a car and drive, can you understand that there are consequences? Okay, God does not want you to experience those kinds of consequences. It is that pragmatic at times. It is that simple. I will punish you and all your work will be for nothing. Your land will yield no crops. Your trees will bear no fruit. Why why is this happening? Disobedience. Listen, man, obedience brings the blessings of God. And I, I hope you know this. God desperately desires to just drop blessings on us. He desires that. That is the kind of God he is. But he punishes disobedience. Now, you had the book of Leviticus where he lays out the Levitical laws. Then the next book in the scripture from, that we just read through in the Torah is Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy literally means second law. And it's not second law as in like, hey, here's a whole different set of laws. It's second law as in second time around. Do you remember the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, they had a chance to go into the promised land and they were disobedient. They didn't go in because they were afraid because they didn't think God could really do it. So God punished them and he said, you'll wander in the desert for 40 years. You'll wander here for 40 years and this generation will die out. Okay, now in the book of Deuteronomy, they're up against the Jordan River, ready to go into the promised land. And it's a new generation. And so God gives the law a second time. This is the second law. He repeats the law to the second generation in the book of Deuteronomy. And by the time you get to about chapter 11, he now says this, listen, I've already given you all the laws. Now today, have you ever thought about this? Today, I'm actually giving you a choice. And the choice you have is between blessing and cursing. Have you ever thought about that? In your life, right now, you have a choice. Question, how many people want blessing? How many people want curse? Okay, here's the deal. It's up to you. God God literally says that to him. Look, I'm giving you a choice today between a blessing and a curse. You'll be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. He says that. Then he goes on and says, but you'll be cursed if you reject the commands of the Lord your God and you turn away from him and you worship gods you have not known before. Listen to me. Sex is a good gift from God. God's good gifts are blessings when they're practiced inside of God's parameters. Therefore, then you should understand the third point, and that is this. Sex is a blessing when it's used inside God's parameters. Sex is the great plan. Can I, can I just say this for a minute? Because I think this is a place where we make a, a mistake as the church. Sex in our culture, you do know this, has become an idol. Sex is an idol now to be worshipped. And in the church, I would say sex has kind of become an idol as well. Because we give you this opinion. If you're single here today, you just know that, need to know this. And, and, and I'll own this. I think a lot of Christians, we need to own this. We've made sex out to be this thing that's like, you know what the greatest thing in all of life is? The greatest thing in all of life is that you would get married and then spend the rest of your life having mind-blowing sex. Like it's this idol. Like you're incomplete if you don't get there. Can I just say, it's just not true. It's just not true, right? It's clearly a good gift from God and it's clearly a blessing when it's practiced inside of God's parameters. But it's not an idol to be worshipped. So let me give you the parameters for sex, just so you're aware of this. This is back to Genesis. This explains why a man... Now watch the order, because this is really important so that you understand this. 
leaves this, a man leaves his father and mother. You understand that he's writing to a culture that is very multi-generational. So in a household, you would have grandparents, parents, and grandchildren, and maybe you'd have a fourth generation. They live very multi-generational. He's not saying you have to leave your family as, like, as in get up and go to a different land and don't ever speak to your family again. He's talking about leaving your family as in your family may still be right there in your own household, but it won't be the most important relationship in your life anymore. And married people, you know that. The most important relationship that I have is with Kim. I love you, Mom. You know, that's all great. Your mom's not as important as you. You love my dad. My dad's not as important to me. We are the most important relationships in our family, and our, and our families now, or in our lives, and our families have to take second. That's all he's saying here. You leave your father and mother. The most important relationship in your life now becomes your spouse, and you are joined to your wife. Some of you know this in older translation. It says cleave. You cleave your wife. This is not a physical cleaving yet. This is a joining. This is in, we have the kind of union that says nothing but death shall separate us. It's that kind of thing. It ain't living together. That doesn't count. This is a covenantal relationship. The prophet Malachi calls marriage a, a covenant relationship. He is saying joined to your wife. The two are joined in a covenant relationship. Some people will argue with me. They say, well, you didn't see in the Bible where they got married and had a marriage license. You're right. We don't. But they made covenantal relationships. This is, this is not talking about shacking up. This is not talking about living together. This is covenantal relationship to his wife. And then watch the very next thing. And then the two are united in one. Then it's a translation to say, then the two become one flesh. They become one flesh. Does this mean sexually they now become one flesh? It does, but it doesn't mean exclusively sexually. It's not just talking about a sexual relationship, but it does talk about this fact, that when they become one, as in one flesh, as in as there is a sexual uniting, you are literally one flesh. Now, now just think about the implications of that. This is why, listen to me, I, I just want everybody to take this in. This statement that the culture has now accepted is totally erroneous. There is no such thing as casual sex. Do you hear me? There is no such thing as casual sex. It is literally becoming one flesh. And this is why when people want to practice, we're just hooking up. We're just having casual sex. When that is broken, it rips at your spirit. Because it is the joining of one flesh. You understand me? This is very specific order. Your most important relationship becomes that other person. You're into a covenantal relationship, and now the two become one flesh. Okay, now I love the editorial comment because this is how you have to read the Bible. The very next verse, it just says, I'm telling you, I'm giving you this right in order. The very next verse says this. Now the man and his wife are naked and they feel no shame. Right, there's no shame, there's no guilt. You know why? Because sex is a good gift from God. When done within God's parameters... Leave, cleave, got it? One flesh. In our culture today, that is marriage. So let me just say this because some of you may not be tracking with me. Any sex outside of marriage is considered sin. Jesus' followers are hooking up at the same rate as the culture. I can just say this. I don't, I don't want anybody to think I'm not, I'm not yelling at anybody. I'm just trying to shoot straight with you. When couples come into my office and they, hey, we want to get married, we want to get married. You guys having sex? Yeah. Okay, we got to talk about that. We got to talk about it. Because I just want to slap down rules because I want to be, no, I want God to bless you. I want God to bless you like crazy. If that's going to be the case, then, then we got to get things in order. I would just say this, speaking right now, there are probably people sitting in this room who, who need to re-examine that. And you may have to come to an agreement with that other person and say, you know what, listen, 
the word of God has spoken into my life and this has got to stop. This has got to stop. Right? Like, like I'm just telling you, and, and that's not just talking about, I'm talking about, it's about adulterous relationships, it's about anything like that. This is clearly the order. And when you do it, it's beautiful and there is no shame. There's no shame. God says, you kids, knock yourselves out. Have at it. I made it enjoyable for a reason. And I'll bless it. You do know this, that, that when we take things that God has given us that are a blessing, they can become, so easily become idols. And I'll tell you, the, the great example is money. Money can be a great blessing from God. You know what else it can be? It can be an idol. So when God gives you a blessing, here's what you do. You give thanks for it and you offer it back to God. See, that's what we just did when we took our tithes and offerings. And sex is the same thing. We say, thank you, God, and you give it back to him as an offering. Otherwise, it just too easily becomes an idol. Now, let me just say, because this is going to be the rub point for many people, and this brings up the obvious question. What then is marriage? And what constitutes marriage? And this is the great challenge for us today. And is marriage just, you know, Neil, I think marriage is any two people who love each other. I think it should just be for any two people who love each other. Man, I wish, listen, nothing, you have to trust me on this, nothing would make my life easier than if that were true. Do you understand how easy that would make my life? Do you understand how much consternation it puts into my life because we hold the biblical views? All right, what's the definition of marriage? And here's the other problem that I have at times. Christians, we love to spew rhetoric and we have no idea why we believe what we believe. Well, just because, and that should be enough for you. Like, we act like that sometimes. So let me give you biblical understanding. And you have to go back to Genesis, and you have to look in context. Now, think about what was going on in Genesis chapter 1. God is creating. God is creating. And I want you to understand how God created, and I want you to get the context of the entire chapter, chapter 1. Look at what's happening in chapter 1. In verse 4, when he's creating, God saw that the light was good. He made light, and he separated the light and the darkness. Now, now, just observe here. God creates light and dark. He's separating day and night. And what do you notice about light and dark? They're similar. They're similar because they mark time. They mark time. And yet, in their similarity, they're completely opposite. You following me? They're similar, and yet they're opposite. Now watch. Just go to verse 6. Verse 6, you're going to see another one. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. You have the heavens, and you have the earth. They both occupy. They are similar. They occupy the atmosphere, but they are opposites. You understand me? The heavens and the earth both occupy the atmosphere, but they are opposites. It's very important. And then when you get to verse 10, he says this, God called, now he's separated again. God called the dry ground land, and he called the waters seas. They occupy the earth, but they are completely opposite. That is the theme all through the creation story. God is creating, and you see similarities, and in their similarities, you see that they are completely opposite. Okay, now you move to the end of the chapter where you see the very end of creation. God saw everything he made, and here's what he said. He looked over it all, and he said, this is really good. This is really good. 
God saw the way that things were created. You saw all the things that were similar and opposite, similar and opposite, similar and opposite. God says, this stuff is good. In fact, this stuff is all really good. Now watch what happened when you get to verse chapter two. Now, so understand this about the creation story. Chapter one, he lays out creation. Chapter two, he just blows up the creation of man and woman. That's what you do. You you just get a magnifying glass on the creation of man and woman. That's really what you had. So one goes through creation. Chapter two kind of goes back to the creation of man and you see the, the opposition. So here's what happens in chapter two. He, God has said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for the man. That's what God is saying. This whole creation thing is good. I've created man. It's just not good that man is alone. So what does God do? God creates all the animals. He puts man in front of the animals and he says, says, says to the man, hey, Adam, just name them all. Now, this is really important that Adam is doing this because the animals are created in twos, male and female. And Adam has seen all the different animals and he's seen that they're the same but that they're opposite. Adam has seen this. And he's naming all the animals. But still, when you go to verse 20, he gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but there's still not a helper just right for him. Like, let's see, the rhino? No, the rhino's not it. That's not going to work. What about, like, he's seen all the animals but there's still not a helper that is suitable for the man. Now, just so that people don't get hung up on this, because I think in the church we, we really misunderstand a lot of things. I want you to understand this word, helper. I want you to understand, what we've done a lot of times with the word helper in the scripture is to go, see, the woman is the helper. She is the subordinate. She is inferior to man. She's just, not a, she's just a helper. She's not the man who does everything. And to, to really understand that, you need to understand the Hebrew language. The Hebrew language for this word helper is the word Ezer. It's really pronounced Ezer. E-Z-E-R. Think of it like Ezer, but it's pronounced Ezer. And the word literally, now get a load of this. This is the word that we use for the woman. That word helper is translated in the scripture as strong. It is translated as warrior. It, it, it is often used as a military force. It's used 21 times in the scriptures. Two times it applies specifically to the woman. Three times it applies to a military force. The other 16 times the word Ezer from the scripture specifically refers to God himself. God is the mighty one of Israel. God is the protector of Israel. God is Israel's warrior. You understand that? This word helper is not a subordinate inferior. And furthermore, it says this, just right for him. Now, we, we, just have, we have all those words. In the Hebrew, they have the word just right for him. is the word kenegdo. Kenegdo means this, opposite to and appropriate for. It's in opposition to, but right for. And the best visual understanding of just right for him, kenegdo, is the two wings of a bird. It's the two wings of a bird. They are just alike, but they're on opposite sides. Now, we used to live down by the river, and we'd go for a walk along, the, uh, along there, and you would see from time to time, we'd look up, and we'd see the majestic eagles that hang out over the river, over the Minnesota River Valley. Beautiful. And one of the things they will do, man, they will just, they just put their wings out like this. It is the most amazing and beautiful thing. Right. Kenegdo. The two opposites. And when they work together... They do something beautiful. That's the idea of this helper. The helper who is just right. The warrior, the strong one, the protector. And Kenegdo, when they work together, the male and the female, they accomplish something that is beautiful and majestic. There wasn't one of those yet right for the man. And then, finally, 
You get to verse 24. God creates the woman. She pulls him out of the rib of a man and she creates the man. And the man wakes up. Adam wakes up and he goes, at last, finally, this one, this one now, the woman, she's bone from my bone. And this woman, she's flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she is taken from the man. Now, this is really important. Notice what verse this is. This is verse 24. Okay, the very next verse. Finally, a helper who is just right for me. In the context of chapter 1, similars but opposites. Now, watch the very next phrase, verse 25. This, this explains why. This explains why. What? What are you talking about? What explains why? Have you not been paying attention? The whole context of chapter one, similar but opposite, the helper who is just right for, that explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two become one. Did you catch that? That explains why. If you want to know what the definition of marriage is, I love the fact that that we can discuss this. But if we're people of the word, and I say this as gently as I can, if we're people of the word, this is our understanding of marriage. Read the context of chapter 1. Understand what God was doing. They are similar, but they are opposite. That is our definition of marriage. That is the biblical understanding of marriage. Now, Let me ask this question. Does the Bible ever address same-sex sexual relationships? Does it address those? And the answer is the Bible clearly addresses same-sex sexual relationships. Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Timothy 1. But let me just say this. And and please don't hear me yelling because sometimes I raise my voice. Just hear me say this as gently as I can. It never affirms. The Bible never, ever affirms same-sex sexual relationships and never affirms people will say to me well neil jesus never addressed same-sex sexual relationships and like you're you're right about that he was writing to a culture where it wouldn't have to be explained number two jesus never addressed incest jesus never addressed abortion the only time that jesus addressed sexual relationships at all matthew chapter 19 he reaffirms he reaffirms listen to this he reaffirms what was written in genesis chapter 2 This is why a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife. The two should become one flesh. He only reaffirms that. Now, is there an argument, because we we know, you're going to hear this in the churches, is there an argument that is affirming homosexuality to to same-sex sexual relationships? And the answer is, there is a biblical argument. So let me give you what the primary biblical argument is, what people will say. It's not a biblical argument, but this is what the culture has choose to latch on to. And the argument is this that the word used in Romans chapter 1, in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Timothy, that that word, our modern-day translators typically translate it as homosexuality. They'll say that word is not translated appropriate. It's not homosexuality. It's referring to pedophilia. And the reason that it's referring to pedophilia is because there were masters who were sexually abusing slaves, and that's what it was really getting at. Because consensual same-sex relationships didn't exist in those days. They didn't have those. Okay, that's the argument given. So let me just address that. That is not true. There is ample evidence of same-sex sexual relationships that were taking place during that time. That is exactly the appropriate word is not pedophilia. That is not the right translation. The translation, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not 
chewing anybody out. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm just telling you, the correct understanding of that is homosexuality. You know? Now, I want you to think about this just a minute. The argument is that there weren't really existing same-sex sexual relationships of that day. Okay, of the, of the scriptures that we looked at that say, hey, it, it, it only speaks negatively of same-sex sexual relationships. Let me, let me just be very clear. Leviticus chapter 18 is one of them. And Leviticus 18 says this, that a man is not to have sex with a man as a man has sex with a woman. Now, when men and women have sex, do you typically think of a 50-year-old and an 8-year-old? That's very crass, I know. But that's not what we think of. The way that a man loves a woman. That is a consensual relationship. It says that a man is not to have sex with another man in that same way. Further, in Romans, Romans chapter 1, it says this. The men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, that's what it's comparing. Instead of having those normal sexual relationships with women, they have burned with lust for each other. Burning with lust for each other is consensual. Does that make sense? It's consensual. That's exactly what he's talking about. They're having consensual relationships with other men. They do shameful things with other men. That's what it's talking about. Now, I've said all that, and I've asked everybody to stay for the whole message, and this is the reason why. Because as Christians, what we have tend to do uh, is we've taken the LGBTQ plus community, and we've seen this as an issue that has to be solved. And I'm telling you, if that's our perspective, we missed it. This is not an issue to be solved. These are people to be loved. So I just want to make some introductions for you this morning. Because in my preparation for this message, I probably had at least 20 meetings with various people from the LGBTQ plus community. The trauma is unbelievable. The trauma that's been inflicted by the church is unbelievable. This is Brian. Brian is a kid that grew up in a Minnesota town and um, grew up in a small town, gave his life to Jesus at a very early age, always a part of the church, knew that he felt very strongly that he'd been called by God to ministry, went to a Christian college. During his experience of the Christian college, he had to go do an internship. And during his internship, he, he knew, he knew since high school, that he's really attracted to men, that he has a same-sex attraction. He knew that. And so he wanted to be really upfront with his uh, youth pastor that he was doing his internship under. He said, listen, my determination is to be, uh, to, to honor God with my sexuality. I'm abstaining from sex. I'm not doing anything with it. I don't want to. I want to honor God in my sexuality. I know that I'm attracted to men. I know that's not the biblical model, so I'm abstaining. He says to the youth pastor, what do you think we ought to do? And the youth pastor says, well, I don't really know. I think we ought to meet with the board. Let's go talk to the board about it. They go and they talk to the board and the board says, hey, thanks a lot for telling us your story, um, but we're very concerned about your lifestyle. He said, my lifestyle, I'm abstaining. I don't have a lifestyle. I mean, for me, I hear that and I go, how is that different than a 26-year-old male who identifies as heterosexual and he's abstaining? Why, why is that different? And they said, well, 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 we understand that, but you understand why we obviously couldn't allow you to, to volunteer with our young children. He says, I'm not a pedophile. I'm a same-sex attraction. Right? Teddy Bryan goes to church, doesn't serve in ministry, sits in church quietly, never talks to anybody, doesn't tell this story to anybody. Right? That's his story today. This is Carol. 
Carol grew up in the church that, in a family that went to church, really involved in the church. Parents were involved in the church. Dad was really involved in the church and leadership in the church, was applauded by the church. Uh, just felt she was a normal little girl. For about six solid years, her father repeatedly abused and raped and molested her. She said, I never identified as same-sex attraction, but she made up her mind very early after that that a man would never touch her again. So today, she doesn't want to have anything to do with the church, and she's married to another woman. This is Jeremy. Jeremy came to Christ at a very early age. He grew up in the church. Family really, really involved in the church. Family is involved in ministry. And uh, he knew, beginning about high school, maybe even earlier, that he was same-sex attracted. Struggled with pornography, struggled with the same-sex attraction, but was determined to honor God in his sexuality, to honor God. And... Uh, had some really great conversations, had some rough times. Today he's married to a woman, they have young children and they're raising them into church. And this is Leslie. Leslie grew up in the church, really involved in the church, family's really involved in the church. And uh, she gave her life to Christ at a pretty early age, pretty young age. Just so you know, I have not personally talked to Leslie, but I do have her permission to use her story. The others I've all talked to. And Leslie just knew, she's like, I just know I'm not attracted to women. I, I, to men, I, I feel this attraction to, 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 men, to women and I don't know what to do with that. And she was told at a very young age uh, that because of that, she was not welcome in that church. She said, fine, she left. Went to college, was actually involved in the campus ministry at college, and, um, but didn't go to church. She eventually married a woman, uh, powerful story. She uh, married a woman and in their first year of marriage, uh, this one, they discovered that she had a very uh, significant uh, degenerative neurological disorder and it would cause her to seizure and to convulse. And so one night, Leslie said that she was standing in the kitchen and she's making dinner and, and uh, the other woman, Carol, comes out to the kitchen and just says, hey, I'm going to go out back and have a smoke uh, before we have supper. And she said, yeah, that's, that's good. Go ahead. And she goes out to the back and she's going to have a cigarette and she, as she goes to light it, she starts to do this and convulse and she lights her hair on fire. She's going up in flames and Leslie hears her shriek and she, uh, she runs out to the backyard and tackles her, puts her out, calls 911. Now they come and get her, they take her to the hospital and, and uh, this woman dies. And Leslie did not know what to do because here she's just traumatized by this and she's got to have a funeral and she doesn't go to church. She doesn't have a church. And so Carol, who she had been married to, had been volunteering at a church, very conservative Bible teaching church. And so Leslie just thinks, well, I'll just call the church. Got to have a funeral. So she calls the church and she's talking to the pastor and uh, yeah, yeah, I know Carol. Oh, you're terrible. That's, that's what happened to her. That's terrible. And she says, conservative Bible teaching church, she says, well, um, Carol is my wife and we need to have a funeral. And the pastor of the church says to her, We would be honored 
to do the funeral. I don't want you to worry about anything. We'll pay for everything. And Leslie says that that was the first encounter that she had ever had with someone who's a true follower. I mean a follower, not just like, hey, I go to church. I mean a true follower of Jesus. It's the first kind words that she's ever had from anybody like that. Right? Today, Leslie works for an organization called Posture Shift where they wrestle with teens. It's a Christian organization. They really work with teens and wrestle with teens who are, who are really struggling with their gender identity. I, I, I just wonder, sometimes, you know, if you catch everything in context, because we say that's so important, because chapters in the Bible, chapters weren't marked till about 13th or 14th century, and verses weren't added till about the 16th century. And so when you read the book of Romans, it's Paul writing the Roman church. Remember, it's just one long letter. That's how you read it. It's one long letter. So in our, ours, because we have chapter and verse, when you're reading about verse 18-ish of chapter 1, he's starting to tell them about, listen, man, we, we live in a world that's just gone to sin, gone to sin, gone to sin. That's the world we're living in today. Right? And then he starts to talk about all the wickedness that we've gotten into. You read that in Romans 1, all the wickedness and people are just doing wicked things. Now listen, it's just a continuous letter and he rolls right into chapter 2 and he goes, you guys think you can condemn them for doing these things and you're no better. Isn't that interesting? We just pick out, oh, this chapter works for me, so I read about their wickedness. And then he just, he just keeps talking, talking, talking. You guys think you can condemn them because... because you think you're better. You can't do that. And then he says this in verse 4, Romans chapter 2. Don't you see? Don't you see how, wonderful, how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient with God is with you? Does, is there anybody in here who doesn't get that? Like sometimes I forget that. Do you, do you understand how wonderfully kind, patient, tolerant God has been with me? With you? Do you understand that? Like just think on that one for a minute. How God has been with us. And then he says this. He just adds in this comment. Does, does that mean nothing to us? Doesn't that mean anything to us? And then the very next verse, he says this. Can't you see that it's God's kindness that's intended to lead you to repentance? Some translations, you always know, say, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not yelling. It's not getting into rhetoric. It's not getting into arguments. It's not that. It's God's kindness. So let me just give you the big so what. And I know I apologize. I've gone late today. I've gone late. Here's the big so what. Our theology can't change. It can't. We're people of the word. That's who we are. But our behavior must. Do you know this? Do you know that the number one thing chasing millennials out of church today is the way that, that the church, the manner in which the church has treated the LGBTQ plus community. Did you know that? That's the number one issue changing millennials. And here's what they've all said overwhelmingly. You don't need to change your theology. Just quit acting like idiots. That's basically what they're saying. Just change your behavior. Did you know that overwhelmingly the vast majority of the people in the LGBTQ plus community that I have talked to have said this? For me to come back to church, because so many of them grew up in the church, you wouldn't even have to change your theology. Could I just get treated halfway decent? Could I just be treated with some kindness? Like, they've been traumatized. Now some of them are always going to disagree with our theology. I get that. I get that. But overwhelmingly, Listen, our theology can't change. In fact, maybe I should just say this. Maybe we need to have a more complete theology. Maybe we need to have a theology that, that, that demonstrates Christ more, that isn't just about don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, but that shows love and kindness. 
we're, we're going to adhere to biblical theology. I just laid it out for you. For those of you who are getting antsy and you're getting nervous, I just laid it out for you. This is our thought on, on marriage. This is our thought on sex. Our theology can't change, but our behavior has to. It just has to. So a lot of times we have a big now what? I don't have one today. You, you, you just sit in that. You just wrestle in that. You just deal with that. Let God speak to your heart. Let God convict you. Let God convict us as a church. Right. You guys stand with me. And again, I apologize. I, I probably got a little carried away. I just went a little long today. But it's one of those crucial conversations, man, a tough conversation. I'm hoping that this, will, this is just the starting point. Like there's going to be all kinds of cool conversations that you folks are going to be having and talking about. And, and uh, that, that's great. I think we need to wrestle with these things today. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your holy word, Lord God. Thank you for what the scripture has to say to us, that it instructs us, that it teaches us. These are hard. God, they're hard for me. Maybe it's just me, but, but I think there are other people. These are hard conversations. These are conversations that make us uneasy. And so God, now wrestle. Wrestle with us as we wrestle with these topics, God. We know that you're not afraid of this. And so guide us, steer us. God, that we will be a church of love and of your word. Both, both. So now God, as we leave this building, I pray that we would go be the church to a lost and hurting world that desperately needs a savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.